Welcome to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Andrew Nolan, Deputy Editor at the magazine, and today I'm honored and thrilled to be joined in the studio by none other than Nigella Lawson, author of, most recently, Simply Nigella. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's so great to be here. It's been, I know that we were just talking that you've been a contributor to Bon Appetit in the past, but it's been some time, so we have to get you back in the magazine. Well, that would be an honor. <laughs> um, so... Ten books. This is your tenth book. I know. It's Simply Nigella. That's it? crazy. I haven't even written one. You've you've ten. I got a lot. Of, I got a lot of work to do. Um, before we talk about the book, though, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about. I know that you were a literary critic. Yeah. And, and, a, and a journalist an and an mm-hmm. editor. But at what point? I guess it was around two thousand before your first book. When did you realize? Like, did you have a food epiphany? Like food is the thing for me, or this is this is the path that I'm going to? Were you having a meal no, or not, nothing? No, no, not at all. Um, really what happened, I mean, I, food was always a very central part of my life. And I was a journalist. I was an op-ed columnist. Some people said you should write about food, and I thought absolutely not at all. I did actually do a restaurant uh, review, but that was... It, that was quite a different thing. It wasn't in, in the sense that it wasn't recipe-led. And it never occurred to me that I would do such a book. And um, But I did. My first book, How to Eat, which in fact came out in the UK in 98. And I thought that would be the only book I did. And uh, it, it wasn't illustrated. And I didn't really know it was going to have recipes. And indeed, a lot of the recipes are, are somehow embedded within the narrative. I wanted to talk about food, my opinions about food. And I felt I just wanted to talk about food as we experience it Mm -hmm. and I thought it would be that but I I felt in so doing that I found my voice and uh, for any writer that is quite something and it Mm -hmm. wasn't so much that I thought food is going to be my career but certainly writing about food Mm -hmm. seemed to be Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do I felt I had more to say Mm -hmm. or that I enjoyed the conversation. And who I guess in your childhood or in your college days, was there somebody who had an influence? Was it reading Elizabeth David or MFK Fisher? Or was it your mom or your... It was my mother, but yeah. not in the way, not in this sort of golden nostalgic sense. Right. My mother was an incredibly good cook, but, you know, I think I was, must have been 15 before I realized that cookbooks existed because right. she just cooked. But also we quite a large family and she believed in child labor. So she got <laughs> us to cook from a very young age. So I'd be like five. Right. And precariously perched on a wobbly wooden chair by an old range, gas range, um, stirring. I mean, you probably would not be allowed to do that sort of thing to small children right. <laughs> now, although I did do a bit with my own. Um, and so I suppose I learned to cook uh, rather than learn to follow recipes. And I suppose what I try and do is bring some of the sensibility of feeling I have very much my own way of cooking, which comes from where you know my background, which is my childhood, uh, my university days, the traveling I've done. But at the same time, I have got a curiosity. Mm-hmm. I'm an avid reader of recipes, an avid tearer out of magazines mm-hmm. and, you know, post-it stickering of books. Is is there one dish that kind of uh, Proustian Madeleine or something that 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 reminds you, you know, of being in the kitchen with your with yes, your mother? Yes, there are quite a few. I think um, some I don't really cook a lot now. Uh, it's, it's quite old fashioned, but you know, we she used to make 
Um, she used to make us make mayonnaise. Oh, really? From scratch? From scratch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of us, uh, although I come from quite a large family, it was quite a sort of sexist upbringing. And it was just, uh, I had a sister who was 16 months younger than me, and the two of us were, would be instructed. My brother, who's three years older, didn't have um, much work to do in the kitchen. So I do very much remember the thing of making mayonnaise and actually very rather tense because my mother would say, you know, whisk faster <laughs> and, you know, Oil should be slower. And, that, and I actually, I found the whisking less stressful than the pouring of the oil because I'm quite clumsy. Right. And I, you know, I couldn't get it so slow. So slow. But actually, the, the, the recipe that is, I suppose, I feel like the unit of family cooking and makes my home smell like my mother's is a recipe that I, I had in an earlier book, which I call my mother's praised chicken. And, and I explained it by saying it, it's not quite braised and it's not quite poached. So I say praised and making it and eating it is like an act of devotion. So I know uh, in the book, Simply Nigella, you dedicated the book to Mimi and Bruno, uh-huh. who are your children. Yes. How old are they? They are 19 and 21. Oh, wow. Not kids anymore, huh? No. I have two kids, seven, two girls, seven and, and four, so I'm just getting started. But a big part of me working in food is raising them to be good eaters, but not just yeah. good eaters, getting them in the kitchen yes. and getting their hands dirty. How important was that to you and, and how, you know... I think of... it's really important and I partly for selfish reasons mm-hmm. because I was never... I'm not really very athletic, so I couldn't go out, you know, running and jumping and, and that sort of thing weekends. Or, yeah. So I would do cooking with them instead. Okay. Uh, but I also think it's important not just to do the sort of cooking that entertains children. We did many, many cookies, and that's mm-hmm. fine and that's great. But also they had to involve them in the process of getting a meal ready. Um, I would give them scissors and they would top and tail green beans. Mm-hmm. They would, you know, pod peas. And that sort of thing is important because I think that it's you, know, you see the process, you see how a meal is made, and they have a sense of achievement about being part of that. And I think that on the whole, children will eat more if they're part of uh, creating. Yeah, there's a certain uh, pride that comes with there's a pride, cooking. Yeah. Yes, and and I think also children are essentially creative. All human beings are. Mm-hmm. It's just that as we get older, we start talking to ourselves about what we can't do. There's always a moment, this isn't about cooking, but there's always a moment of great sadness, I think, when a child who's done drawings nonstop Mm -hmm. and... You know they're they're charming. Obviously, there's no perspective. It's mm-hmm. like going back to you know, pre-Renaissance times. Right. And then suddenly they say this isn't right, and they one day they scrunch it up and they put it in the bin, and it's no good. And that's terribly sad. And I think also a lot of adults are like that about cooking. They the amount of adults who say to me, "I can't cook," and by saying those words, "I can't cook," it is a kind of culinary incarceration that the kitchen is outside and they can't go into it. Right. And of course, that's not true. People can cook. Uh, it doesn't have to be complicated. But if that fear stops them, and I suppose I feel that you, that if you can help children from an early age to, to demystify it, so cooking isn't something that happens, meals don't just suddenly miraculously turn up on the table. Right, you don't open a and bag and pour it if, on the plate. Yes, or yeah. they're, they're not in the playroom or outside, you know, g- gambling about. Right. Um, and then suddenly there's the meal and it's cooked, so they think it's actually quite difficult to do. They see that, in fact, cooking is just a process of simple steps. Right. Now, you can complicate as much as you want, and there may be more steps or fewer steps, mm-hmm. but essentially they can see how it happens, so it doesn't seem frightening. Right. And, and something that you mentioned 
in the introduction to Simply Nigella, you made a distinction between mindful eating and mindful cooking, which mm. I think is an important thing, especially here at Bon Appetit. Our biggest goal is, you know, we want people to buy the magazine, but we want people to get into the kitchen and actually make the food that they're eating. Can, yes. you, can you talk a little bit about can, what mindful, co- yes. mindful cooking? For me, what it is is about not giving yourself so much stress when you cook that you're n- you're not really aware of what you're doing. You're just thinking, what, what am I meant to be doing next? Right. And so instead, both what you do at the magazine, what I do when I write a recipe that is similar, which is we do just enough hand-holding that people feel there's company in the kitchen, right? but not so much that too much dependency is encouraged that we can say this is great, but you could use a you you could use a different citrus. Right. Uh, basically, what I'm trying to do is get this contrast, and I think also the idea of saying really it's about it's about cooking. You learn to cook by cooking. I suppose simply Nigella is a reiteration of something that I wrote in my very first book, which is that the point of cooking um, lies in the result but the meaning lies in the process Mm -hmm. and it's about enjoying the process I Mm -hmm. think and not skirting around that even if I think I'm too tired to cook tonight actually once I start stirring my shoulders drop and I feel better right it's almost uh it's a it's a inexpensive psychiatrist for for a lot of people you know it's stress relieving for me Um, (laughs) but you mentioned chefs and how they've become emblematic of what people think about when they cook or that my food's not good enough that I cook at home because it doesn't taste like uh, Daniel Holmes' food at 11 Madison. Or Or it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it. But I think one of the things, restaurant food is is kind of doing, is becoming home cooking in a lot of ways. But but restaurants now are emulating uh, the home cooking of an earlier period, but obviously with slightly more sort of, different spices or different techniques, Mm -hmm. but people at home still have a notion of entertaining being something that should aspire to to restaurant food. Mm -hmm. It's a curious swap that's happened. So so from 1998 when when How to Eat came out Mm -hmm. to to 2015 when Simply Nigella, how has your cooking... You've changed as a person, I imagine. How has your cooking changed? It's evolved, but it hasn't changed radically. And it's not linear. So... Although I did actually have children by the time How to Eat came out, I didn't right. for a lot when I was cooking all the recipes because right. it was really my life up till then. And so some of the recipes in How to Eat are not really practical when you're, you know, you've got a job and you've got children. Right. So that, so that my recipes maybe have become simpler. At the magazine, we've been accused of loving avocado toast a little too much well then we, we share <laughs> i know it's a crime we're both we've both committed because i know that your show premiered in the uk right mm-hmm. on is it it ABC? was it was monday the second of right. november and, and i read a, a bunch of people were up in arms that avocado toast is not a recipe uh, we've run dozens of recipes for avocado well actually toast, so. <laughs> the point is that's quite funny is that when i did the recipe on the show i said look uh, look, I admit this right. isn't a recipe, right. but it's it's part of the fabric of my life. And right. I was trying to talk about different ways, what you can add to it to give it a little bit of pep. Right. Um, I think, what are recipes? You could say recipes are one of two things. They're a blueprint mm-hmm. or they're 
a suggestion, mm -hmm. an idea, and no one is forced to, you know, go out and buy the ingredients and then cook something or make something. But I like, um, I suppose what I feel is, is that I knew it wasn't a recipe, mm -hmm. but just talking about what and how I eat is what I do. Yes. I mean, that's at the heart of of what I do. And it's it's a it's a sharing of enthusiasms. Right. I mean, in the book there is a recipe, but simply because I serve it um, but that one in the also book. Has pickled radishes yes, it on has it pickled too. breakfast yeah, radishes, yeah, but yeah. it's um it's one of the great contributions that Australia has made. Yes, and that's where it started. I was going to ask you if your time spent um, in Los Angeles filming the taste, if if you had picked up a. That's where the avocado well, toast. I, I it, avocado toast is so big in Australia yeah. and has been for some years. But yeah. I did because when I was filming the taste, you had to get up so early. Was, right. you, know, you couldn't get any breakfast, right, so right. I always used to say, "Could I have a bowl of avocados?" Because right. the avocados on the west coast are so fantastic. Yeah, they're great. Um, a bowl of avocados and a bowl of limes, and so that at least I could have the wherewithal to eat that in the morning. <laughs> Um, well, I want to thank you, Nigella, for stopping by. But before you go, mm -hmm. I have some lightning round questions. Okay, that, well, uh, you, your questions may be lightning speed, but my answers may not be. I'm just right. warning well, you that now. That's fine. You, but you have to choose one, though. All right? Uh, only, well, you say that, okay. but carry on. <laughs> uh, eaten mess or figgy pudding? Eaten mess. Well, depends on the season, Andrew. Okay. <laughs> uh, chia seeds or Nigella seeds? My jealous seeds. I'm sorry to be a culinary <laughs> egomaniac, but there it is. If there's a seed named after you or I'm named after the seed, <laughs> I should be more honest. I'm named after the seed. Right. Then, um, Are you, in fact, well, named I'm not. I'm named after the flower, uh, okay. which is the same. It's Nigella means it's little black okay. in Latin. But your, but your father's name is Nigel, though, right? It is, right? but actually my maternal grandmother was a bit of a gardener, and there was a flower called Love in the Mist, and its botanical name is Nigella, and she oh. grew it in her garden. Okay. And it's funny that Nigella seeds have become kind of culinary cred in New York now, like everyone's using them. It's kind of funny. It is kind of funny, <laughs> but the first Nigella seeds I ever bought were in Dina DeLuca in New York, oh, right, probably um, yeah. about 20 years ago. Okay. Uh, Cadbury Crunchy or Dairy Milk? I would um, neither. I neither. Good. It's I want my I want my chocolate dark and salty. Seventy percent at least, or seventy percent at least. Okay. Matcha or English breakfast. I like a builder's tea, but I love oh. matcha too. Okay. Paul Hollywood or Mary Berry. Mary Berry. And can you explain what they're judges on? The Great British Bake Off. Right. Yeah, and which that's is the, like that's huge. It's the biggest thing ever. In and the I read UK. something that you said you wouldn't even make it past I the wouldn't. audition round. No, I wouldn't because when they're told to do something, they say you've got to make 12 cookies and everyone must, each one must be uniform in uh, shape and color. And uh, that that's not how I cook. You no, know, me neither. Bolognese or vodka sauce? Um, in the end, you couldn't have a life without a meat sauce and pasta. So even though I... I've got a recipe for the fabulously camp uh, pasta a la vodka. I, myself, I think it has to be bolognese. Bolognese, okay. Uh, shepherd's pie or, I'm not even sure how to say this, banoffee pie? Banoffee pie. Banoffee pie. Uh, shepherd's pie. What is banoffee pie? Banoffee pie is banana and toffee. Okay. Banoffee. Okay. It was invented, I believe, by a restaurant in the south coast of England called the Hungry Monk in the 70s. Okay. Back to 
avocado toast or beans on toast? Avocado toast. Hands down. Um, I'm almost insulted to be asked. <laughs> <laughs> butter or olive oil? Well, if it's extra virgin olive oil, I'm going to dismay many by saying I actually couldn't live with I couldn't live without extra virgin olive oil. Really? I was expecting butter. No, I, I yeah, yeah, I love butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love lard. Yeah. I do feel I couldn't live without extra virgin olive oil. I feel it's I feel it's the elixir of life. Now, this is in terms of restaurants now, not where not where you want to live, but restaurants, New York City or London. Um, London's gotten think, a lot better, right? It's 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 in yeah, but it it has it has it has. But I think, I think New York City is. I think it's it's hard to die to die the pull of of New York for restaurants, and not least because, for me, when I started doing restaurant reviews when I was in my early twenties, mid twenties, I. New York felt to me like this glowing metropolis mm -hmm. of which had such extraordinary food. And London was indeed having something of a culinary renaissance then. But nevertheless, it, there seemed to be uh, good food at every level. Mm -hmm. We had very good high-end restaurants, but it wasn't at that stage. It okay. didn't permeate so many so many levels of right. of in terms of the sort of cooking, and also you know how big the bill is. Right. I mean, it's not true now. We have in London, but I think there's part of me that still sees uh, New York as the culinary mecca. The neighborhood restaurants. Is there one mm. place that whenever you're back in town that you kind of want to go to or find yourself going back to? No, I try to, you know, go somewhere new a bit. Or I, do, I mean, I do love the um, the marrow bones on toast at the Minetta Tavern. Yeah. Um, I got the recipe out of them. <laughs> one book. I do really love those. And that's a cozy little... That that to me is a quintessential New York City restaurant. The kind yes. of red, no, it, red really, it is. But on the other hand, you know, we have got some great stuff like that in you know in London. And you know, if ever you want to, if ever you're coming to London and you want restaurants which aren't in every guide but are great, come to me. Okay, I'm taking you up on that. Um, mm -hmm. Nigella Lawson, uh, your book, tenth book, simply Nigella is is out on stands now. Thank you so much oh, for coming you. and talking to us. I loved it. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by executive producer Bell Cushing and project manager Carrie Polis with editing by Mitra Kaboli. The theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.